that's a big deal. And the fact that not a single campaign had another word to say about it tells me that they know too. That is a problem. He has moved to the front and everybody knows it. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. My name is Braden Gall. Jamie Holland. Good to see you, man. How are you? Great. The election is less than a month away. I hope we had a wonderful 4th of July holiday. We've got a long-form sit-down interview with candidate Freddie O'Connell coming up in a couple of days, so stay tuned for that. Get to all of the social channels as well at Pod Bless Nashville on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I'm sure there's like 4 billion new social media platforms that are coming out as we are recording this right now. So uh, follow us there too. I'm sure we'll be there. Um, Jamie, lots of stuff to do on the show today. A little bit later on, we've got a conversation about sort of some actual good news in the state about what's taking place with the LGBT community. Pride Month just ended. There was an interesting ruling from a, a middle district judge, Eli Richardson, that actually was a very positive ruling for um, the state of Tennessee. But there's some data, I think, Jamie, I wanted to get to some folks so that they have some information to have a smarter conversation about what is actually happening in the state of Tennessee w- within the confines of the framework of the national attack on a cross-section of our population. But some good news, actually, last week. So we'll, we'll get to that, at least for now. Uh, at least for now. I'm not a lawyer. You're the lawyer on the show. So hopefully that was good news. Eli Richardson's ruling against the gender-affirming care ban. So we'll get to that a little bit later on you can uh, be as a, well. You can be a Twitter lawyer. I can? You can. I do appreciate that. You, you just... I just passed my LSAT just like that. That was tremendous. Bar uh, exam. There you go. Uh, so, and we've got a lot of other stuff to do today. They, uh, there's so many ads on TV now, so we're going to break down some of the ads that we've seen across the mayoral race. We've got a vice mayoral race that I think people need to understand. We've got at-large county seats, uh, council member seats that are available and up for grabs as well. Uh, so a lot of stuff to do today on the pod. Also, some news about disclosement of funds. So uh, FOP endorsement as well. Very busy show today, Jamie. Uh, are you ready to go? Let's go. All right. Let's start with the uh, the TV ads. And I got to say, listen, I know Jim Gingrich has a lot of money that he has put into the campaign himself. I don't know what his odds are of winning. Go check out our last episode with Steve Cavendish talking about that. Slam and none. I just see, saw Slam walking down the street. The best commercial so far that I have seen by a country mile is Jim Gingrich's dad on a sidewalk with a slideshow presentation telling everybody that he's not related to Newt. That is by far, I think, the best commercial so far. I don't know if it serves him any purpose. I don't know if it gets him anywhere to try to prove to people that he, I don't know, belongs in Nashville, is a Nashvillian, is something close to a Nashvillian. But I thought it was by far the most interesting ad. It had the highest production value. Uh, I laughed out loud, and uh, I thought it was very clever. Does his dad live in Nashville? <laughs> what kind of house does his dad live in? And, you know, maybe his dad should be running for mayor. But interestingly enough, I don't think that was Jim Gingrich's house because he lives on the west side of town in a condo built by an out-of-town developer. It did look but, a little bit like a bungalow. 
Yeah, I don't think that's where he lived. But, yeah, it was a great commercial. Great ad. Good for him. It's not going to get him to 20% that he needs to make it to the runoff, but it was a great ad. Uh, He also did the one about his mother uh, passing away early uh, with cancer. Certainly the goal of that ad is to humanize him and and certainly make him uh, more relatable. Uh, Also, very good ad. The ad, he's had the best TV campaign. Some of that's because he has the most dollars to spend on production value. Uh, But they've been very slick. And you can tell they've been produced by people that know what they're doing. But that's also how you've reached older voters is through the television ad. You're not going to get them on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook. Maybe you can, but most of the time the way you're going to get them is during the news cast. That's when you run your commercials. And I remember watching some Friday night, which speaks to my age and what I'm doing on a Friday night. <laughs> but I wasn't watching the TV. I was watching the ads. They came across in a sequence. Freddie's ad, Gingrich's ad. And then Wilshire's ad, and then no ad from Yarbrough. Yarbrough's ad, we can jump to that one, is digital only, as far as I know. But I, I thought it was a good ad in light of the circumstances and what's going on with the covenant. Conversations that are going around the city, how we're going to protect our kids in schools of all places. Well, I thought it was interesting. O- O'Connell's ad, I think. Yeah, this is the, the the billionaires and bachelorettes, of course, uh, who's who of uh, city council folk in that ad. I think you could play Where's Waldo with that one. I thought it was interesting. He's cl- he's clearly trying to go a certain direction, and we're going to spend a lot of time with him on our next episode about this. Like, what is it exactly he's tapped into with people of sort of all different demographics? But he's clearly going Nashville versus downtown versus tourism versus corporate subsidy versus whatever you want to call it. That ad certainly represented that. If you are a football fan, do you like that ad? If you're a football fan in Green Hills, if you're a football fan in Antioch, if you're a football fan in Hermitage, do you do you think that ad's a little too cheeky? Does it land on you? I have a lot of complicated feelings about that ad. Uh, cute, funny, but what's the purpose of being on television? The purpose of being on television is for Freddie to get his message out to what I said earlier, older voters. Is that appealing to them? I don't think so. It's certainly appealing to his base of support, but he doesn't need a television ad to reach his base of support. He needs a television ad to expand beyond his base. And, you know, it's mostly talking about downtown activities. Well, who's been the council member for District 19 that covers downtown for eight years? Freddie O'Connell. So, like, did it hit the mark? I don't think so. Hopefully, for his campaign, he's got another one in the can ready to go. Hey, you got some attention on social media. P.S. Who cares? 70% of the voters are not on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The caricature of the billionaire with the stove running for a touchdown, though, was was pretty funny. I did enjoy that. That was former General Sessions Judge Bill Higgins. Yeah, yes, and that, it, that part I enjoyed. You could tell he was having a great time <laughs> yes, while doing that. But to, to and your, I'm happy for him that he had such a good time. To your point about being up on TV, though, the purpose is to appeal to an older, older voter, which generally is a much more active voting population in any election anywhere. Matt Wilcher's ad, of course, I believe it's hope and worry was the call. Uh, he speaks directly to the camera. 
he sort it's very traditional style commercial. He sort of tells people the exact issues like it's guns in schools and education, guns, crime. You know, those are kind of the things he was saying and he was speaking directly to the commercial, sitting in a school, right, doing that ad. That's the voter that's the ad that you think appeals to the demographic that's watching the television at the time, right? I, I think that ad was designed for that voter and it was very sobering ad. You know, but at the same time, like that's the education ad. Well, what's next, Matt? You need something more than education. What's the next thing you're going to be talking about? Well, he's been, I think his entire ad scheme is designed for the older voter, which as schemes go, that's not a bad one. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say at that time slot, I think you're catering to, to what you're targeting there. Uh, we'll get back to Matt Wilcher because he did get the uh, Fraternal Order of Police endorsement. What does that mean? And, of course, the disclosure period uh, ended June 30th by July 10th on Monday. We'll have, when, depending on when you're listening to this, you will have more information about what all these candidates have raised in quarter two. Matt Wilcher, of course, is the only one with money out there right now, which also tells us something. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But uh, Jeff Yarbrough's ad, I think, I think it was called Walk. And he's got a lot of cuts in there of him with his kid and, and certainly walking to school. And uh, there's a there's he has a very memorable scene from the Tennessee state legislative session where he he's, you know, doing the impassioned speech. And so he uses that and cuts that into the ad, which I think is smart to show people, hey, I've done this before. It also is a callback for people that maybe somewhere along the way on social media had noticed that situation or saw him do that. I think there's some smarts in there and how they put that together. Uh, and also, again, appealing to sort of the human side, like, hey, I'm a, as a parent of two daughters, like I saw him walking his kid to school. I walk my kids back from school. There's some relatability there as well. But as you said, that is not an ad that's on a television right now. I like that a lot. thought it was well done, but not on TV, only digital. Now, is he, since we're in the next period, is he going to put it on TV? I would say probably so. Maybe he's just targeting it to moms in West Nashville. I don't know. But I thought it was very well done. And the last one before we get to the attack ads, Alice uh, Rowley's ad, I, certainly it told me exactly what her identity was, but I don't know. There was nothing there in terms of what she was going to do. It, it told us exactly who she is, which is totally fine and gets the job done at doing that. I don't know what else it told me. Meh is the word you're looking for. Meh. It's too late for that. That should have been something. That's she, the first ad, right? You're yeah. supposed to do like a long time ago? A long time ago. Okay. Yeah, but right. she didn't have any money to do that. You know, I think that speaks to her problem. Who's going to know she's running for office? Not many people. <laughs> because the female vote is going to be chopped up four ways. All right. Steve Smith, of course, owns a bunch of Honky Talks downtown. And he, he puts out uh, like... Here's how I can say this. I understand. It's not his first ad. I, I know. I understand what his goals and personal objectives are against Freddie O'Connell. I understand what his point is. They've had, as you mentioned, who represents the district that is in charge of almost all of his businesses. I get it. As a communications expert, as someone who has been in the media for two decades, I am offended at just taking a... Here's a baseball reference for you, Jamie. Th this was a meatball down the middle of the plate for him to swing at. And he just absolutely whiffed. ABC was the campaign against Cooper, correct? Any, anybody but Cooper, right? Correct. 
you, you now have kindergarten I blocks. I, I don't know what the next three, I don't know if people know this or if anyone in his works for Steve Smith understands that D, E, and F are the next three letters in the alphabet. And you could very easily have done don't elect Freddie right after the ABC. And by going NOE, which I don't, I still right now, I'm doing a show about the ad and I still don't even know what NOE stands for. It is objectively an atrocious ad. And I'm not saying that because not I, O'Connell either. Yeah, sure. That I, it is just, I, the voiceover, the, the, what is this? A monster truck rally? Like I, it's just, it's an objectively bad ad. I don't have a problem with someone standing up against Freddie or saying things that are against what Freddie does or wants. And, and if you want to put money into the campaign and buy ads, go for it. it this is America, but do it well, do it well, please. I appreciate his guts, the guts to put paid for by Steve Smith <laughs> down at the bottom. No committee, nothing like that. Hey, it's me. I, I, now, I agree with he, you He on did that. not make that content. He ordered that content. So somebody between him and that pairing on your television screen, no one told him about D, E, and F. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't put that on him. Oh, you're, you're telling me he did not have final edit on that. You're telling me he didn't somebody, see it. Somebody in television production world, no one said, have you thought about DEF? And and shout out to Stephen Elliott, by the way, of the National Post, who I believe said that first. He's, he's the first one to say that. So shout out to Stephen Elliott. But so and he had to say it. No E. <laughs> Dude, it's No just, E. Oh, God, no Freddy. See where I'm going? This no E. No, it's objectively terrible. Uh, like again, agree or disagree. To your point, agree or disagree with what he was trying to accomplish. I do appreciate not putting some random acronym for some random committee that stands for some random belief, and it's fine. Like I, 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 I respect putting your name on it and and then investing in it. That's fine. You don't want Freddy. That's fine. Great. Do it better than that. That's all I got to say. About but the, that. Is there a Ridiculous. more effective way to oppose fretting? Well, <laughs> probably. Probably so. Was that a good use of his money? Probably not. But like, who's going to tell him no? How much did well, he spend? Do you have any idea? I, I have no idea. But he does. Ha there's no way that if you spend the money on it, it doesn't hit your desk first before it goes out the door to the publishers. And if it comes to your desk, you have to look at it. And then he has to say, yep, I love that. Let's okay. do it. And I, I believe personally, and again, we'll talk about this next week on the episode with Freddie O'Connell, that there, there is a weird cross-section of this city that is appealing and, and is appealed to by Freddie O'Connell. And I think that type of an ad only pushes people more into their curiosity, if that makes sense. I don't think everyone's decided. We are 45% undecided voter population right now, less than a month away. But if you saw that ad, you might, you might actually be more interested in Freddie O'Connell. Well, I think he's, he's was, he wasn't targeting, you know, undecided voters. I think he was targeting his bar owner audience because that's one of their major grievances down there is crime. And they're not satisfied with it. But they also suck up a lot of our public resources, trash collection, recycling collection. Police. They, police. They get a lot of resources, but they need more, according to them, because 
you know, it's spiraling out of control. Uh, and of course, they will take full responsibility for any part of the spiraling that they may or may not have contributed to. Right? Oh, of course oh, they will. Right? They are standing in line, hands up. I can see them right now. Yeah. In my mind's eye. Okay. They're going to walk over the Korea Veterans Bridge. Okay. Uh, Korea War Veterans Bridge. Um, so now uh, we celebrate the Koreans. That's true. So <laughs> it's a whole other episode there, big guy. So Yarborough's ad positive. Gingrich's ad very positive. Not sure how much it's going to do. O'Connell's ad I think are okay. They're they're memorable. I, I'm I'm sure it could turn some people off, but I think it's positive. Matt Wilcher I thought did a solid job in what his ad was designed to do. Uh, I think Steve Smith's ad will have an adverse effect on what he was intentionally trying to accomplish. That's that would be my analysis of the I, first wave of TV ads. Yeah, I agree. Okay, all right, lots of room for improvement. So we are taping this on uh, around lunchtime on Thursday the sixth, and the first campaign disclosure for quarter two, which ended on June thirtieth, was uh, just over five hundred thousand dollars raised by Matt Wilcher. That puts him at about one point nine total. Uh, with when you add the the couple hundred k that he threw in of his own money, he's now up to about two point two total, and also got the endorsement of the FOP from the police department as well. So, what what matters in that is the question for you, Jamie. But I would say the the fact that we are recording this at uh, eleven fifteen a.m. Central Standard God's time, and that we have six days after the campaign term ended or the the finance term ended, we only have one campaign's disclosure form tells us that everyone else is not really all that close to Wiltshire, depending on when you're listening to this, of course. The, the reporting period ended June 30. I think he put out some sort of release or media advisory. I don't know if he's actually published his report because it's not due until the 15th of July. But that's a strong indicator that Matt has been quietly raising the money. And now it's not that he raised half a million dollars. It's now that he can apply that half million dollars to touch more voters or expand his message. And that puts, to me, that put Matt, puts Matt in the number one position. You're, you're willing to... I'm going to move him to the top. Okay. Yeah. That's a big deal. And the fact that not a single campaign had another word to say about it tells me that they know, too. That is a problem. He has moved to the front. And everybody knows it. Uh, frequency is as important as the quality of the message. And with money comes frequency in terms of how often you are in front of people's faces uh, on their phones, on their TVs, et cetera, et cetera. Se successful campaigns are, are, have two resources available to them, money and time. And if you got the money, then you can spread your message. If you don't, then you're probably running out of time. Uh, all right. So. Endorsement of the police. I, I think the other thing it tells Fratar us. Fraternal order of the police. Well, let's talk about what it is and what it isn't. What it is, it's a check for probably the max around $8,500 packed check. It used to mean something. The reason it no longer means something, because it goes back to, can you guess what, Braden? Housing. Housing. <laughs> it goes back to housing. Because our rank-and-file police officers can't afford to live in this town. Right. So they live outside the county. So what does that mean? They don't vote for mayor. And so it's eroded. The value of FOP endorsement has eroded over time. And that's a problem. And it goes back to housing. When we have police officers come in from out of town to police us and then leave, 
it's not as good as if they lived in our communities and not enough of them live in the community but only half around half last time i looked at it half the members of the metro national police department are members of the fop when you are a member of a community you are more invested in the community's success and the people in the community and getting more and more police officers to live inside of our communities is harder and harder and I don't know any police officers where they said the only job I have is being a Metro National Police Officer. They've got some second job. Well, that's somewhere that. else. And, and so and this is, I know, uh, crime is a very complicated issue. Safety is a very complicated issue. It means different things to different people. It means different things in different neighborhoods. It sort of has to be, and this is just my opinion now, I think there has to be sort of this holistic view. Like, yes, you need to invest in building up the force. Yes, you need to invest in mental health. Yes, you need to invest in solving the causes of the the safety issues not the symptoms of the safety issue like there's a lot of different ways but one of the key components to that is investing in (laughs) housing (laughs) so that more police officers can live and work in your communities i honestly i used to go to a uh, there's a little bakery that i used to go to on sunday mornings when i was working for for satellite radio space radio and I could stop in every morning at like right at 7 a.m. when they open to get my my coffee and my my breakfast on the way into the studio and there was always like seven or eight police officers in there and I actually got to to know them because they were in there every single Sunday at the same time I was and even just having a name all you need is a name and that there's a relationship there already and that that's all it takes and then and again that doesn't do anything for the family of somebody who that they're missing it doesn't do anything to you know cause affordability in, in other places but I, I would say the other not to spin this quickly but Alice Rowley wanted this pretty badly and did not get it and if you're saying you're moving matt wiltshire to the number one slot does losing the endorsement of the police does that are we saying does that all but end alice roley's campaign or what is that is that too much am i putting too much weight into that i think you're putting too much into it okay i think she might have been clinging to it for her own personal reasons and thought that would launch her campaign and maybe the news media would write a story about it but i don't i don't think it means anything other than her personal hopes may have been dashed. So other than that, that's kind of the campaign news for right now. Uh, And we'll kind of start each episode with that moving forward over the next course of the next few weeks. We are hoping to bring you as many candidate interviews as possible. Uh, As I've mentioned, we'll talk with candidate O'Connell coming up and we've got some other ones lined up as well. So we'll try to get you as much content from these candidates as possible over the course of the next month. Um, Make sure you're sharing the show. Please tell somebody about it. We're going to get into, as I mentioned, a lot of the rulings and some of the legal ramifications of what's taken place uh, around the LGBTQ community in the state of Tennessee uh, over the last couple of weeks of Pride Month as it ended at the end of June. Uh, But let's start quickly with vice mayor and at-large races. Number one, the vice mayor. I want to ask about the vice mayor because that it is largely an administrative position for people. Uh, It is the vice mayor does vote in the event of a tie. They have to make sure the machines are working, which I find hilarious. But it's generally a a, a role of order to keep things moving forward smoothly and steadily and therefore probably does not need to have a ton of vocal opinions about issues or present solutions to issues when running for this position. And I'll let you get into the candidates in just a second. However, if something were to happen to the mayor resignation, perhaps all of the sudden the vice mayor, who's not supposed to have any opinions on anything then becomes the person running the city, which has happened recently. How do you, as a voter, balance 
the understanding that this person is not is supposed to be sort of administrative and bipartisan or unpartisan and then but also could be running our entire city like i need to know what they believe in right i need to know what they stand for first in the line of succession in the event of death or resignation of the mayor that might be its most underutilized feature of it but that person keeps order in the nation, if you will, amongst 40 members, no small task, but it's not sexy. Like, what's your opinion on X, Y, or Z? Well, who cares, really, because the only time you're going to vote, as you say, is in the event of a tie. But here, it's just contrasting styles between laid-back Jim Shulman and a little more persnickety from Angie Henderson. Does it matter? I think it matters. Do I wish the position didn't exist? 100%. Why not? I think it's a, a relic of the past and a relic of, you know, the creators of the charter in a metropolitan form of government in 1964. They wanted a mayor-dominant charter. And by electing the vice mayor countywide, strengthens the mayor, weakens the legislative body. I personally always want the legislative body to be a real co-equal branch of government. And that's not the case in Nashville. It is very much mayor dominant by charter. And so, but there are points along the four year term where some power can be given to the legislative branch, but it doesn't happen. And the reason why it doesn't is because the vice mayor is elected, has his own, his or her own constituency, as opposed to creating a chair. Let the body, i.e., the legislative body, the council, elect a chair. Now you have a co-equal branch of government. So when the mayor comes with a proposal, well, he's going to have to talk to some legislative leaders first and see what their take on the subject matter is. Because if they don't, then the chair of the body can run over the mayor. I want the current membership to elect the chair. I think we should amend our charter or eliminate the position of vice mayor as it currently exists. I think its utility is around 10%. So we are in our fourth episode of this show. You have gotten rid of the score? environmental court. Yep. I'm not sure how you feel about the director of law. <laughs> you're you're now campaigning openly to get rid of you want to remove nimbyism from the housing code and we want to remove the vice mayor from the countywide ballot and put it into the hands of the council did i get all that right correct all right cool if you want a stronger the closest people to the citizens or residents is a district council member and so i want them to decide who the chair is and i wished there were no at large positions either you've convinced me on all this nonsense you've got me on board <laughs> we're, we're going to get to the at large candidates in okay. just a second okay. hey i don't think you should exist but we're about to talk about all right vice who you mayor. guys are you said angie henderson more persnickety that seems like a nice way to put it why why is that the adjective you're using and why should she be the vice mayor why should she not be the vice mayor first of all i love angie henderson she's great I think I irritate the shit out of her. She's probably the first one. Probably the first one. But she lives in a satellite city. And a satellite city 
is this one in particular is Forest Hill. Another one is Oak Hill, Bellmead. They are not subject to the jurisdiction of the Metro Zoning Code. They have their own zoning code. They have their own zoning policy. Well, in order to live in Forest Hills, you have to have 1.25 acres for your home. And that's the lowest lot size you can have in Forest Hills. It's all requires more from there. If you have an estate, you got to have three acres. You have a bigger estate, you got to have six acre minimum lot size. So we're building lots of housing there. It's not going to happen. So do you want a person who lives in a 1.25 acre minimum lot size for a house presiding over the body that's going to establish the housing policy for the next four years in somewhere other than where she lives? That's a question I think is very important to ask oneself. And that's, that's just the facts. That's not talking about her position on any vote or anything else. Right. Or what club she might be a member of. Bill me. <laughs> but, like, hey, that, that's where we are. And are we, are we that messed up in the brain that we're going to do that? Zoning code establishes our housing policy. And she lives in a community that's outside the jurisdictional boundaries of it. She wants to preside over the body that creates the policies. Yeah, I get that, it. That doesn't make sense to me. No, I get it. If the, when, when the council goes to, to 20 people in 2027, is there a chance that the vice mayor role is changed or tweaked in that process? Or is this, to, to your point about creating a, chair, uh, a committee chair that runs the legislative body to create a more equal, co-equal branch of government within the city of Nashville? I mean, I think a, a bill could be filed or a charter amendment or a bill at the legislature could change that. Do, do I think they have the will or spirit to do it? I don't think so. I don't think they realize the power that's within their reach. It's easier to just go along with the status quo. No. Um, but it's, it's right there for them. Uh, anything else on the vice mayor you'd like to add before we get to at large? No, that's it. Um, At-large seats, there are five of them, of course. If anyone's ever spent any time with you, they probably know the value of the at-large seat is, is, there's some questions about the value of the at-large seat in general. And when, again, we go to the 20-person council in three years, four years, how many at-large seats the council decides to give itself is sort of an indication of how they value the districts. Uh, But right now, we've got five at-large seats. What do people need to know about the races and how do people, like if I'm a voter, I've got my own district in, in the house and the Senate and in, in the council, how should I be voting for at-large seats? Well, I think first you got to look at the charter to determine the importance of the position of at-large and what happens in the event of a vacancy. Well, in the event of a vacancy of a district council member, thanks to Wallace v. Metro Supreme Court case, you have a special election. Same for the mayor. If it's at large position, at vacancy, there is no special election to replace. So it's not that important. But when you see up there how the council operates, the people that have that large position, they think they're bigger, better, better than a district council member, most notably because they don't have to deal with zoning. They like to say, oh, well, I represent all the voters of Davis County, all the citizens of Davis County. That's just something to make them feel good. But it's a it's simply a platform 
for other office. Megan Barry, counsel at large, ran for mayor. John Cooper, former counsel at large, runs for mayor. You see where this is going. It's a springboard to a different office. So early voting opens, I think, July 14 or July 15 at various locations across town, including Maddox Y, which is good for East Nashville because they used to have to go to the Madison Library. And God bless the people that are voting early and they know who they're voting for. It's crazy. But the top five on the on the ballot, everybody got their sample ballot in the mail recently. It's on the Davis County Election Commission's website. But like the top five does pretty good because people have no idea who they are. Yeah. And so here you got two incumbents. You got Zolfat Suara and Berkeley Allen. Berkeley Allen's a former two time district council member, one term at large. And she's what? She's top of the ballot. I would expect Berkeley to be reelected, no problem. Then you're going to have to go down to the bottom. Zolfat Suara. I think she's going to be reelected. Those are the two incumbents. And then you have some district council members who are term limited running for at-large, and that's kind of the traditional path, if you will. And I would say Jeff Syracuse and Russ Pulley would be favorites to win one of those seats. So that leaves one for about 15 people. One of those is a district council member. We're going to find out if somebody who's never passed a bill before can become a countywide elected official. Well, so two, two things quickly. It, it, you're, it's alphabetical. Is what you meant by the order on the ballot, the top five in alphabetical order. First letter, last name. Do 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 better. And then that raises the question of what is it that you need to, what should you value as a voter in the at-large council person? Is it specifically what, no different than any po- political decision, I, this person aligns with me here, here, and here? I, I don't like, think. What is it that they should be, we should be prioritizing? I think how a lot, how a lot of them get elected is at these early voting sites, there's going to be opportunity for retail politics. And so some, a lot of times that candidate's going to be standing there and you're going to be able to talk to them. Some of them say, hey, make me one of your five or, hey, give me one of one. Don't vote for five, vote for one. Because if you vote for one, right. then that increases my odds of winning. I've seen that play out in practice many times. But there's no way these candidates can get their message out. We're talking about mayors candidates raising money tv ads right there's no way for these candidates to get their message out what they're relying on is their eight years of service and during that time they got emails from people all across the county on various matters throughout the smart incumbent keeps all that and so when it's time for them to run for countywide office then they have a built-in constituency right and maybe they've done something for them in the past some sort of constituent service or voted a way that they wanted them to and so they're going to rely on that but it's you know you talk about low information mayor's race this is a no information race and I, i would submit perhaps the most significant council election that i can remember you gonna elaborate on that (laughs) in our next section when we talk about housing Oh, we're doing housing today too. Oh, okay. Well, then get, no get question. To we're we're in crisis mode in housing, and so the next vice mayor and next council, it has to be addressed. We talk about how it, all roads lead to housing. Well, it's the solution to a lot of our ills, and if we don't have more housing, then the people that we rely on to run our government can't live here anymore, and that just doesn't work. And so. 
the next priorities of this council, which typically involve waiting, sitting on their heels, waiting on the mayor to propose something, then they shoot it down or vote for it. Well, the singular body responsible for housing policy in this town is the local legislative body, the Metro Council. I'm tired of hearing about it. 2015, affordable housing, affordable housing, affordable housing. Well, drop affordable housing. We got to have more of it and in heavy supply. And that's going to be a front burner issue for the council for the next four years. And are they going to do, we're going to get serious about it or we need to quit talking about it. The affordable housing task force was established by mayor Cooper and the 2021 report found that we need 52,000, 53,000 new units of housing by 2030. It's roughly five grand per year. We are on pace for about 1300. There have been some marginal steps the, all the nonprofits in the city are trying to come together and coalesce around some sort of plan. But I, I think radical is the term that you are trying to employ here, right? That, that there needs to be radical movement and quickly because it does tie into everything else. It ties into transportation. It ties into education. It ties into safety. It ties into everything else we're talking about. We're not going to build. We can't possibly build enough single family homes to solve the problem. We need density, 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 and not just on the pikes. It's got to be all over the neighborhood. And until we all collectively wake up to that fact, you know, we're just, we're continually digging our own grave. How would you grade John Cooper's job on this issue? Now, before the last few years, I would have told any mayor, candidate for mayor, do not touch zoning. Do not talk about it. You're not involved. It's not your process is strictly a legislative affair it is matter is that because of the facts of the situation or because it's a losing issue on a campaign trail to say to people i'm going to take your land away or make your land smaller or you see what i'm saying because the law the laws of the state of tennessee say the local legislative body determines zoning or not you know houston doesn't have zoning we have some of the most restrictive zoning Brentwood has far more restrictive zoning there. You got to have one kind of like Forest Hills, Oak Hill. You got to have one acre minimum lot size. Well, until we reform our zoning code and encourage density all across the town, we're not being serious. We're not having serious conversations. So in the past, I'd tell the mayor, Hey, don't touch that because you don't have any say they can overrule you and make you look like a dummy. Stay out of it. The next mayor has to address it it has to be addressed has to be come from the bully pulpit that he has and start beating that drum all around town we're not going to solve any problems doing the same thing over and over again and single family zoning nimby it's it's run its course it's over we can't continue as a functioning city until this problem is addressed which candidates are speaking about the issue in the most sophisticated way as far as mayoral candidates nobody really because we have different media in this town than we had in years past and it's like we're all scattershot all over the place but nobody i don't think anybody's talking about it on any scale because it can't just be affordable housing because nobody's for that remember they tried to put some tiny homes down the church tried to build some tiny homes and the immediate Edge Hill area and the immediate community went batshit crazy and filed lawsuit over it. Like, oh, my God, we can't have those people living here. I, I sat in a um, my district meeting one one time 
and there is like a small lot near, it's quite near your house as well. Uh, there's a small little lot of like tiny homes that I'm assuming are, are short-term rentals. I'm assuming they're Airbnbs, but they're like eight or nine, what look like very fancy trailers. And I remember the couple couple women sitting right in the front row, uh, very concerned with the trailer park that was being built. And I'm sitting in the back row, like watching the materials go on these houses that is clearly like very high-end stuff, right? And, and the city council person at the time in our district tried to explain to these very kind and very curious people, why, is, why are we okay with the trailer park being built here? And they were trying to explain how it wasn't a trailer park. And, and I, it just, one of those moments, those Metro moments that sticks in your head is like, I'm just here at a district meeting trying to learn about how to reduce the speed limit on my street, you know, from 35 to 25, which now has happened by the way. Thank you. But I find it fascinating that sort of the lack of understanding, even with the constituents, um, Hey, why is this in my neighborhood? Right. That's the NIMBY thing you're talking about. So there was a used car lot next to what was then Marche, what is now Emmy squared pizza on Main Street. This car lot had a neighborhood meeting. They were going to want to put five stories on it or seven stories. I can't remember the total height. Oh, my God. The people had a full-on come apart. No way. Can't do that. Most you can MDHAs overlay says you can only do three stories or five stories. I can't remember which one it was. But they, they were wanting two additional stories. And it's like, no, we can't, can't have it. It'll be out of context with the other buildings on the street. Well, I hope in the future, you know, a seven-story building on Main Street is the shortest building on the block. It's the context, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We got to go higher. And so the property, the potential purchaser of that property, and realizing he's facing this angry mob, says, no, I'm out. He didn't do it. Didn't go forward with the project. They sold it, and the developer built a bunch of short-term rentals that are currently there now. It's like, well, they did that by right. They didn't need your permission. So what what did y'all accomplish? What, what's better there? for the community is housing for, for people to live in or a, a bunch of shorter short-term rentals, literally shorter. Shorter, one-story, short-term rentals. It's like, hey, that's... They're ugly, by the way, too, <laughs> just for, for, the, for the record. Don't try to regulate aesthetics, Braden. I'm sorry, that's fair. Paint that's it fair. yellow, slap a turd emoji on it. I'm good. You're down with the turd emoji. Okay. Yep. Uh, all right. Did you get your housing fix for the week? Because everybody better get used to the housing fix every week on the show. <laughs> it's worth it. I'm not saying it's not worth it. It is. I, I can't tell you how important it is, other than by talking about it incessantly all the time with anybody that will listen. I, I, I'm here to support your costs. Uh, let's hope the Alliance for the Affordable Nashville group comes together and does some work with the next mayor and the next city council. How about that? All right. Sound good? All right. Uh, waste management. And I, don't, I don't mean the company. I mean garbage collection. I mean, conversations are being had behind closed doors somewhere, some way. We have a looming problem, and that is our current garbage that is collected and then goes to transfer stations, moved out. It moves on to Middle Point in Murfreesboro. Well, very soon, we're not going to be able to send our garbage there anymore. We need a solution. I don't know what that is. Our C&D landfill, which is owned by Waste Management in Bordeaux, it's near capacity. Uh, the citizens there opposed the expansion of that. We got a problem. We have to, one, get our garbage collected. You saw how that went when it wasn't collected. And 
now we got to find some place to dispose of it and what are we doing what's our solid waste board what's our city what are we doing to address that looming problem because we don't want to wake up one morning next thing you know they say hey you got to take your garbage somewhere else now we're in disaster mode and we're already we're already in that now because i think we're still under our emergency services contract to have a contractor waste management pick up our garbage that red river can no longer do there are issues that don't get talked about on the campaign trail i would put this one into the category of it will have a greater impact on the perception of the mayor's office than anything else we've ever talked about in a in a quicker more precise manner like no there's no faster way to lose favor in your community than what happened with our trash and it's something we take for granted there's no faster way to uh affect the standing of the mayor's office than to not be able to pick up trash the the city government has to function at its most basic level the unfun part about being mayor something's got to be done every single day what's that you got to pick up the garbage every single day next thing you gotta do you gotta pave the roads you're not paving the roads they think you suck they don't care who you are pave the roads pick up the garbage local roads i remember 16th between eastland and shelby pothole 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 pothole. i started getting calls hey jamie (laughs) can you get 16th pay i was like hey Brett Withers at national.gov. <laughs> and by the way, all council people's emails listed in the show notes and where you can register to vote in the show notes. All of that in the show notes, every single episode right there on your podcast app, wherever you're listening to us. Rate, review, subscribe. And I'm just kidding. I did call too. I was going to say. Of course I did. Yeah, of course. You just have a way of staying out of people's business. That's <laughs> what I'm learning. Um, okay. A- anything else? Any other pressing issues before I get to some stuff that took place this week that I we're big on presenting some solutions to folks about stuff. Thirty five district council seats are up. This is a metropolitan general election or general metropolitan election happens once every four years. And twenty three of those thirty five are contested. Twelve of them have no opposition or it's the incumbent being returned. But. 12, no opponents, so only 23 races to speak of, if you care about district council members. And nobody does except their own. And that's why if there are fewer of them, we'd have more important races? I think you wouldn't have 12 without challengers. Yeah. I mean, 12 without challengers, that's kind of a signal. It's not that everybody thinks you're great because you're running for it unopposed. It's like, glad we found one to take the job. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right uh let's finish on super light note um the attack on one cross section of our population in the state of tennessee so um a couple of different stories all took place over the course of a, a two-week period basically leading up to july 1st july 1st was the date that a bunch of laws were going to come into effect uh banning gender affirming care banning drag shows um all kinds of stuff that that obviously is a part of a nationally coordinated attack on LGBT people. We're not here to discuss human rights and civil liberties. I think anyone who knows us knows where we stand on personal freedoms. I think I would hope at least. Um, But I do want to point out a couple of stories and and then hopefully provide people with some data and some information to have more productive conversations about this issue than just screaming at each other all the time. 
because there are, it is very easy and I understand why it would make you want to scream and why it makes you want to yell at people, people that you love, that you don't understand. And I understand why people want to scream about it. So I, I get it. But I think there is a productive way to present things to folks and say, look, here are some, here are the implications of what is taking place and why, what you need to know, and then how you can use that information uh, to maybe have a, a more productive conversation with somebody who doesn't understand the issue itself. Are Again, you saying our outrage has a hair trigger? I would say that that is true. Now, I also, but to be fair, I understand why people that are under attack nationally, locally, and at a state level feel that they have no other recourse but to scream about it. I, I'm not going to deny that person that, that feeling. That is a very real emotion, and I understand that. Let's get to the news stories first before we start start down that path. So number one, the Vanderbilt University Medical Center had to turn over all of its transpatient medical records to the Tennessee Attorney General, Jonathan Scrimetti, just last week, a week and a half ago. Uh, it is a civil investigation demand, which is totally legal by the state to acquire these records in what they are essentially calling an insurance fraud investigation. If you believe that that's what they're thinking. Clearly, Vanderbilt University Medical Center did not agree with that because they informed their patients that their records had been distributed to the attorney general's office. All, of course, with the backdrop that the state of Tennessee has passed more legislation against this certain cross section of our population than anywhere else in America. Thirteen laws have been passed since 2015. Hundreds of bills literally nationally have been passed. Uh, this is a coordinated national effort to erase a, a group of people, which I don't think you can do. I, I don't know about you, Jamie, but I don't think you can actually do that. And you can try, and it can be filled with hate, but you can't actually do that. The implication. I have to get out my dictionary and look up yeah, the yeah. definition of liberty and freedom. Yeah, there you go. For you, this is for you, libertarians. So, the other thing that the other big piece of news that happened, of course, we, we know that the, the, the drag bill was deemed unconstitutional. But more importantly, uh, in my opinion, more importantly, the gender affirming care denial ban was also deemed unconstitutional by a federal district judge appointed by Donald Trump, that it was unconstitutional, essentially citing that the weight of evidence indicates that gender affirming care has an extraordinarily positive effect on young people. Um, there is zero evidence that any procedures have occurred and taken place in the state of Tennessee. So if you hear someone use, what is it? What is it? The chemical castration, I believe, is a phrase that I heard, which that one's a great one. I, we want to present some of the data for people to have the facts, to have these conversations in, in a real way. So there's zero evidence that any procedures have taken place. There's a weight of evidence, according to Eli Richardson, again, the federal judge that that ruled that basically said this gender affirming care ban is unconstitutional. Now they've appealed and Jamie, you can step in and tell me how long this process could take place. I don't know years le legally what that means, but there is essentially a Trump appointed judge says, look, depression, anxiety, suicide rates, all of the very important things that we should care about with our children. All of the evidence suggests that gender affirming care, which is not surgical has a huge impact on the mental state and health of our children. And I don't know about you, but that's, I was, I don't know what the right word is because <laughs> I, I am not comforted <laughs> necessarily by this situation, but I thought for a judge to read that case and to say what he said was critical 
in a fight for personal freedom and liberty and the health of our children. I just don't know why. Why is it being done? Why is it happening? I, I can't answer that. I have no idea. I've got a conspiracy theory for you on it. Go ahead. Uh, to distract from a wildly unpopular issue that nationally is a losing one for a particular political party. What issues? Uh, Which would be abortion. Well, but that's a deep, deep, deep conspiracy theory. I wouldn't rule it out because Republicans are running as far away from that issue as humanly possible. <laughs> Correct. Because it's wildly unpopular. And you know what? Here's another point. A Gallup poll in May said that almost 70% of the population would agree with birth gender being how you decide sports competition. Sports competition is the one area where they have found their way in. And by they, I mean the, the right legislative body on this that people don't know. People are unsure of how kids should play sports. And there is no scientific evidence. Here's more, more data for you guys. There is no scientific evidence that says one way or the other that it's unfair. So sports is a complicated part of this, even though there's no science that backs up either side of the argument, really. And that is where they have found their end to sort of attack this, this group of people. And here's the number one most important thing to this. And these are interesting stories. And Richardson's ruling, I think, is very important to the state of Tennessee, especially to sort of just like slow the momentum. Here, here are the numbers that startle me, that get me out of my chair, that I think are important that people need to know. 56% of trans youth have attempted suicide. Not thought of suicide, not had suicidal thoughts, but have attempted it. More than half. These are the implications of these bills. 40% of trans adults have attempted suicide. Just sticking with youth, 18% of LGBT youth have attempted suicide. Attempted suicide, not thought about it, attempted suicide. 9% of cis youth have attempted suicide. So number one, we've got a youth mental health problem full stop across the board. But 9% of cis, 18% of LGBT, and 56% of trans youth. So if you, t if you tell me that it's a bunch of noise and a bunch of people screaming about an issue, that's fine. I'll hear you. I will then tell you those numbers and say, think about what the implications are of these bills and the legislation. It is children wanting to kill themselves. And that I cannot think of anything more important than that. Why are we making the problem worse as a society? seems like nobody nobody would voluntarily sign up to be in that demographic considering the risk associated with it i don't get it this is a tough question to answer because i think that there are people that like i said i understand the desire to scream and yell about it and to make it a huge issue and to and to and to hey look at this look at this look at this it's critically important people are being affected by this i do think there's a difference between someone who is doing something hatefully and somebody who just doesn't understand it. And I think part of our solution needs to be to give a little grace to the people who don't understand some of this stuff, right? Like if my grandmother mistakes a pronoun, I, I don't need to, I don't need to scream at her about that. I can just talk to my grandma about it and say, no, it's okay. You, you messed up on the pronoun. No big deal. Let's, let's have a conversation about it. Does that make sense? Like ha having some grace about, somebody who wants to do the right thing, but isn't really fully aware and doesn't really fully understand. I think there is space for that. I, I hope at least, I don't know about you, but I hope. Well, I hope so too, but we don't have a, 
a uniform place where we can go to to get basic facts that we all agree on. We're all going to, we can't, we can't even get that right. So until we get that right, how are we going to solve the bigger issues? I don't know the answer to that. A uh, couple other quick pieces of liberty, freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's do it. <laughs> pro liberty, pro freedom. A couple other quick pieces of advice, and this is anecdotal, but I, I'm happy to, to pass this information on again. This is to provide people with information to use in cordial conversations to try to bring people along in, in this conversation. One of them is, you know, who has invested a ton of time and money and energy into studying sports and athletic competition between uh, genders and sexes and all that, you know, who has governing bodies of sports and largely they are okay with trans children and, and athletes competing against each other, however they see fit. So just want to let you know that all podcast hosts, me included, have not done the same research as the people who govern the sports. I just want to put that out there. The other thing is anecdotally, and I've, I've done a lot of work with the child sexual abuse charity here in middle Tennessee with our kids. And anecdotally, I can tell you that in 30 plus years of child abuse in this state of which about seven to 800 children are treated every single year, not one in 30 years was a trans perpetrator and it's never happened in a bathroom. No one's been abducted in a bathroom. Anecdotally, 30 years of people that I talked to could not remember a single time in which they treat 800 children a year. Not one person could remember a single time in which a child was abducted in a bathroom by a trans person. Just want to point that out. They would say it's been working then. <laughs> Jesus. Here's another solution for you. All restaurants and places that are capable of doing this, one seat bathrooms that are for both sexes. How about that? Just just take the problem off the table. What do you think? I I think we all have a job to do in there and nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah, so that's just, that's valid. Let's do it. That's valid. Um okay, we've got a lot of stuff coming for you guys. Uh next week, coming up in a couple of days, long form sit down with Freddie O'Connell. Jamie, you and I will discuss the state of his campaign, and uh, we've got more candidates coming for you. So stay tuned. Uh, I would invite you to follow Jamie, but he doesn't really want you to. You can get to me at Braden Gall at Pod Bless Nashville as well on all the social accounts. Uh, otherwise, thank you guys for hanging out. Thank you for listening. Please share the product. We do appreciate it. For Jamie Hall and I am Braden Gall. Have a great weekend, everybody. <laughs>